Welcome to episode three, right? Yes, episode three. Of an hour of your life. Yep. Today, what do you want to talk about today? Hmm. Let's talk about jobs that we've had. We are going to talk about jobs today. Um, And the reason why we're going to talk about jobs today is because, for those of you who aren't aware, I have an in-home daycare. Um, I've been in education for, what, about 15 years now? About that, yeah. More or less. Um, so the, the business that I have that I run out of the house is called the nook and it's basically just me and a whole bunch of kids and we hang out and we have fun and we play and we learn. But, uh, I don't know that a lot of people know that the, uh, the childcare workers have an expiration date and it's, are you saying you're getting old? I'm saying that my knees and my back are getting old. I am 37 and most people age out by the time they're 40. You're you're pushing it. Kim. I'm getting there. Yep. Um, it's hard getting up and down a lot with kids. I went to the doctor, and I'm not I'm not kidding. Like I went to the doctor, and he told me that I have the knees of a 50 year old. Well, okay. <laughs> that was not a compliment. <laughs> so uh, I'm getting ready to go back to school to get my medical coding certificate, um, and start a brand new career. So that we can travel. And you can still make money. That's right. Yep. That, so that's right. Um, coders make, medical coders make about what I make now. Uh, but it's a remote position. So when Steve retires in a couple of years, we can travel and I can still, as long as I have Wi-Fi and a laptop, I can still make what I'm making now. We won't take a pay cut and I can kind of retire semi. Um, so that's the plan. Well, maybe by that time we'll be making ten, fifteen thousand dollars a week off our podcast. I'm you, you sure think that, we will. You think that's going to happen? Absolutely, with okay. our five listeners. Yeah. Well, we have more than that. We have eleven. We yes, we right? do. Right? Yes. Something, <laughs> Something like that. I don't know. We're Shout getting... out to Anna, who I know is listening because she's like consistently listened and thinks we're funny. She's like yep. the one person. <laughs> yep. Okay. So. As far as jobs, I've had a lot of... Did anything really good happen to you this week before we start? Uh, I, uh, at the risk of offending people, um, I only have like a week and a half left of my job. So that's kind of good. Well... Today, actually, no, something really did, good did happen to me. Um, today, uh, my stepdaughter, Pamela, your lovely eldest daughter took me and her daughter, Kellen, to a local, uh, local-ish community theater um, performance. She is in the National Guard, and one of her soldiers played the lead in Newsies, and it was really, really, really good. I was really surprised. I've never been to a community theater before, and it was really good. I remember as a kid, we would go, I grew up in Grove City, Ohio, and there was a place up there, community theater, called the Little Theater off Broadway. Because the main street running through Grove City was called, called Broadway. Oh, that's and, cute. And um, a family two doors down from where we lived, the uh, the whole family was involved in that. And so it, we would go to one or two productions a year, and I, I really enjoyed that. It wasn't fancy inside, but it was it was a stage, and it was nice. I guess, I mean, this one was really nice. I mean, I don't know that it was fancy either. They had a projector, I guess, which was kind of fancy. And I thought, so I was... I went to school for theater. I was in theater when I was in high school, and I went to school for theater, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, my job in theater-ish briefly. Um, But I never, I am ashamed to admit that I had never been to a community theater before. I have, we have gone to dinner theater, 
And that's kind of what I expected the community theater to be like. It was, I mean, it wasn't, it was nice. The dinner theater was nice. Yeah. But it wasn't Broadway level production. The talent that we saw this morning was professional Broadway level talent. As far as like the tap dancers were amazing. And the lead, the guy that um, Pamela knows that was playing the lead in Newsies was really, really good. He was a good dancer. He's a good actor, good singer. I just didn't expect that in community theater. Well, that goes along with my theory. Just because someone isn't big and famous, there's a lot of talent out there. And, you know, absolutely. You know, I may get into that in the army or not, but I've just seen so many things that, like, wow, that guy, you know, he, he should be, you know, in Nashville or he should be doing this or doing that. Yeah. You know, he's just a soldier in the barracks and just. Yeah. And just, this kid has, I asked, and um, she said that his family is like that. Like his mom, I think, is the co- costume designer and his older brother played one of the roles. And the show as well. And, like, his whole family, I guess, is into it. And I said, you know, does he have any aspirations of doing this professionally? She said, no, he wants to be a cop. This is just a hobby. But he could. He was really good. And a lot of the kids, and it's newsy, so it's a young cast, and a lot of the kids were really, really good. I've said that for years, that if you needed something done, a mural, if you needed something done, if you needed a soldier maybe to sing the national anthem for whatever, all you had to do was just put it out there, and there is a lot of talent. Yeah. Just, you, know, you don't have to be big and famous to be good at what you do. Absolutely. And, and I'm glad that, you, that we are talking about soldiers because I do want to preface this show by saying that Steve spent 24 years in the Army, um, and so we've cleaned up a lot of our job stories that we're going to tell but yeah, as I was thinking about this, I'm thinking this is going to be really hard to try to keep this at least at least PG-13. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it never went to X, but there's a whole lot of R. And I'm going to try to tone some of these things down to where they're at least PG-13. But just just a fair warning, if you're sensitive and also, um, you know, being in education and child care for a long time, not all of my child care stories like because a lot of stuff funny happens on the day-to-day basis, but you don't always remember the day-to-day basis. The stuff that stands out in your mind is always either really funny or really bad. So uh, just a word of caution at the beginning of the episode. I'm not really sure what's going to come out, what stories we're going to tell, but so just proceed with caution, just yeah, so you know. And, and like, you know, and that the same thing with the Army. There's, I think we tend to remember the good things, there were certainly bad things that happened, but even when something bad happened, you were there with other guys, other soldiers, and it, it kind of took the edge off of what happened. I mean, I, I love the Army. I would go back if I could. I would do 24 years in the Army all over again. In fact, I had retired at 22 years and uh, got recalled back to active duty for two more, and I jumped on that in a heartbeat because I just loved being in the Army. I loved being around soldiers. If I were ever stranded on a deserted island someplace, put me on that island with a platoon of combat engineer soldiers, and within a year, we, we would have a Taj Mahal built. We would have... <laughs> You'd have it colonized. Yeah, we, we would, and we would have a good time in and that year that we like were there. And you'd all have like 15 native girlfriends. Yeah, well. <sighs> I, but, and, and I think, you know, you always hear about like the gallows. deserted island. Oh, I bet you would find girls. (laughs) 
but you always hear about the gallows humor from uh like doctors or not well yeah like doctors and um like morticians and and cops and stuff soldiers have that same kind of gallows humor and i think a lot of teachers actually have that same kind of gallows humor because if you are surrounded by by children every day like you you i don't even know i don't i don't want to say you lose your mind a little bit but you kind of do well i'll i'll just say that you know Times have changed. Yes. And as a young one in the Army growing up, it was, it was all, the units I served in were all male. Mm. And the, the, the standards of how people talk now <laughs> and what, what is acceptable have changed quite a bit. And, um, and that's probably why a lot of the stories I... You can't I, tell. I, I can't tell. And classified information. <laughs> that would be classified right now. So you've pretty much had one, not one job, but you've worked for one company your entire career, if you think about uh, it. No, I mean, when I, when I was in high school, I worked for um, Ramada Inn. I was a busboy at the restaurant in Grove City, Ohio. And, you know, it made enough money for me to have spending money. And the waitresses would all share their tips and stuff like that. I mean, we got paid minimum wage, and then the waitress was waitresses would share their tips with us. I mean, it would it would give me enough money to be in high school. So, and then in college, you worked in coal mines, right? Or worked for a mining company? Yeah, I worked. When I turned eighteen, I started working at the coal mine, and it was a surface mine. And I had two uncles that worked there, and it, it was good. Did we talk about this a couple weeks ago? We talked about this on mile thirteen. That's right. It was. I know <laughs> I was speaking into a microphone about this. Yeah, no, yeah. we talked about this on our so, other show, mile thirteen. Yeah. So at that time, minimum wage, believe it or not, was like two dollars and thirty four cents an hour. But by me working where I did, I was making eight fifty four an hour, and we worked six days a week. So Saturday was time and a half. So I made a pretty good chunk of money by by doing that. That's. Do you have any stories that you can tell from the coal mines? Nothing. I mean, it, it was just an amazing place to work. I mean, we would... Um, it seems like it would be a really dangerous job. It could be. It was just hot and dirty. We would come out and we would be just covered in coal dust if we were working up in the preparation plant because a lot of the stuff we did was just as the coal would come down and get crushed and sorted and whatever they did, cleaned and whatever they did to it, we would... Um, coal would fall off the belts and we would have to take these big number four coal shovels and shovel the coal back up. It was loud. It was noisy. Um, a lot of times we'd take grease guns. We had to grease all the, the grease points along the conveyor belts and stuff like that. But the, the job that we kind of dreaded, but we didn't dread, it just depended on the day, was these coal cars would come in to get loaded up to get the trains out. And uh, before you could load it, it would take three of us summer hires, and we would have to walk. One person would have to stand on top of the rail car, which is like four inches wide, and walk across the, the top of the train because you had to be able to look down inside the train to see if there was junk, trash, stuff that shouldn't be in there before they loaded up the coal. I mean, theoretically, you could walk, you could climb up the side of the car and peek down in it, climb back down, but it just, it, it didn't work. And so it was just the fastest, most efficient way 
And I had pretty good balance, so I was the guy that usually would walk across the top of the car and peek down in there. So if there was something in there, then there would be two guys on either side of the track, and they would have to open up the hoppers. And then sometimes the, the hoppers were fairly new, and they would open easy, and sometimes it would take all three of us pulling on this bar to, to try to open these things up. Then, then you'd have to clean it out. And if it was a quarter of the way full of junk. It, it. So in eastern Kentucky in the summer, it's hot, it's humid, you're working around these train cars, and just the heat that comes off that. It just The bosses would come out, and they'd bring us plenty of water and stuff like that. And sometimes we could walk an entire train, get it done in two hours. Sometimes it might take all day long to, uh, to get a car cleaned or a train cleaned out. So what kind of stuff was in it? Like you said trash, like... How do you get trash in a train car? People throw things like TVs, um, dead dogs. Like when it's just parked on the side, like an empty train car, it's yeah, just parked people just and people just open it and throw stuff throw in stuff it. in there. Or sometimes there's a, a product called slag that they would use for um, making steel. And so there would be a lot of slag in the, in the coal cars. And that was really hard. Just think of like a volcanic rock. It doesn't slide easy. And it's just like chip it off the sides of the cars and stuff. Or? No, it would be loaded in the car, so you'd have to open the bottom of the the hopper, or the bottom of the train car out. And if there was a lot, it would all just spill out on the train tracks. So you had to clear it all out. And sometimes you would have to make enough room for more stuff to to come out of the train car. So it was just hot, dirty work. And sometimes you'd be walking up. I remember at least two times I'd be walking up on top of the. Uh, the coal car about halfway across, and they would put off a blast up on the mountain with explosives, and you could feel the ground start shaking, and you would just kind of go down on your knees and on top of that train. Like, you know, those Olympic gymnasts had nothing on me. Now maybe I couldn't do a flip, but I could. Uh, I could balance. Didn't fall off one time in all the time I did that. I'm sure there were guys that did though. Yeah. Urban legend. We heard one guy fell and broke his arm. I didn't know who he was, didn't know anything about it. But the last summer I worked there, I worked at the, um, uh, with the reclamation crew. And as they would clear off the land, then there would be flat land. And in a lot of places, they would just restore the mountain back the way it was. And then in some places, people, they they wanted the, uh, the flat land. And they planted apple orchards, they planted things and stuff like that. So... I would do that. But I remember one time, though, there was a bridge going across the creek, and <laughs> they they gave me a cutting torch, and they told me to cut these bolts off because we're going to uh, we're going to put new bridging, more wood across the uh, across the bridge. So there I am, laying on the deck <laughs> on this bridge, leaning over the side with this cutting torch, and I caught my pants on fire somehow, oh, no. <laughs> and so. I, I jumped about ten feet down in the creek. Everything's fine, but that was uh, that was one of the more memorable stories. Oh gosh! And one time, one of the mines went. Uh, they went on vacation, so they put me out there for two weeks just to sit on the property and guard the property. And I did see a bear. What kind of bear? A black bear. Did it attack you? No, I was just sitting there in the little trailer, and I saw this bear wandering across the. The property, and I just stayed in in the trailer and watched it. What did it do? 
It just bear things. It just did bear things. It walked across. The, hmm. It did. But you only did you did coal mining during the summer. For five summers, yeah. And then did you not work during the school year? Uh, I had. Oh no, you did. You were the photographer. I, that was not a paid job. Yeah, but that was still a job because you tell me some good stories from your photographer days, like bands that you got to see and. Well, okay, yeah. I mean, got to sit up, you know, lean on the stage, and things like that when bands would come to um, to Moorhead. I went. I, I graduated from Moorhead State University in Kentucky, so yeah, I had a pass so I could get up on the stage and do things like that. Yeah. And you saw what bands? Oh, I saw for the first time, like their first their first tour out that you always tell me about. No, 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 no. It was Charlie Daniels band, but they um, they released "Devil Went Down to Georgia," so we're really dating some things here. But oh, that's uh, okay. Yeah, but um, yeah. So they said, "Hey, we're going to play this song for the first time for you guys tonight. Tell us how you like it." And then, and but I, then, didn't you say like there were some bands that you like you thought they'd be really good, but they were actually jerks and like they quit in the middle of their set or whatever. Yeah, there was one band, and they're a famous band, a famous country band, and the guy just kept tuning his guitar and he kept tuning his guitar, and someone from the crowd said, "Hey, we paid to come here and watch you sing, not tune your guitar," and he got mad and started yelling, and then he uh, he stopped. And then he started singing his song again. He got about halfway through the song. He got up and he threw his guitar down. He started yelling and, and screaming and cussing and stuff like that. After the first little tirade he went into, probably half the people in the gymnasium got up and walked out. And then after that, I think there may have been 10, 15, 20. There, weren't a lot of, there were not a lot of people left in the gymnasium. They, you just Everyone left. Wow. And, and that, I bet they didn't get refunds either. Uh, I don't think anyone cared. And the next morning, he was on TV, and he did, he the guy apologized to uh, Moorhead. Yeah, even still, yeah. still. And then you went in the army. Then I went in the army. What army stories can you tell? Ah, uh, I'll get into those. What about you? I mean, I don't really have like I've been in. I guess my best stories are probably from retail. I worked. I mean, I worked like little nothing jobs at first when I first kind of, I didn't ever work when I was in high school. And so like when I left home, I was a waitress for like a summer and I worked for um, a company that had like water massagers that you, I think you can still find them in some of the malls. Um, the company was called Aqua Massage. And I don't know if that was the name of the people that I worked for. Uh, I really liked them. They were really nice people. And I don't. They owned the machines, and I don't know if Aqua Massage was like the brand of the machine or if that was their company name. Was that the one where you like sat in it? You laid down in it, and it was like a giant tunnel, and you like laid down on your belly and in the then, mall. Yeah, in the middle of the mall, it was like a tube, and you laid down on your belly, and there was like a. It it, it looked like a tanning bed, and a lot of people thought it was a tanning bed. But instead of a light, it had like a water jet, like a V-shaped water jet. And it would go over top of you and everybody would always walk by, do you get wet? No, you don't get wet. You're, no. Do I have to take my clothes off? No, you don't have to take your clothes off in the middle of the mall. So you lay down and there's like this cover between you and the water. Did anybody request to take their clothes off? No, it was, it was not a, it was not a very exciting job. Um, It was, I mean, it was a nice job. I liked it. I paid decent. Um, the people that I worked for were really nice. So like those jobs, there's not really any good stories, but then 
um, while I was in school. So I don't know, like I said, I've been in education for so long. I did, um, I did some summer work when I was going to school. Um, I was in a program. It was just for, it was for at-risk youth during the summer between, it was the summer between their seventh and eighth grade year, or no, sixth and seventh grade year and eighth and ninth grade year. And I taught English and like an elective. And that was really fun. Um, I eventually became the assistant director but then that program like ended up shutting down because of lack of funding. Uh, and then, so I, I don't know, I just have some good, I, mean, I have a lot of education stories, but they're not, they're, some of them are kind of sad. Yeah. But I do remember when you were working at, the, uh, at that burger place, sometimes I would go in and pick you up later. You know, I, I would give you a ride home. Are we going to tell the Elvis story? Is that no, where going no, no, with no. This? The bet stories. So there would be times that I was waiting tables and Steve would come in and just like casually sit down at the bar like he would, like, like it was nothing. And he, he would sit down at the bar and I was, you know, I wouldn't acknowledge him or whatever because a lot of the time, uh, back then, you know, we were dating and back then, I had a very junky car. And it was maybe, what, two miles, if that, yeah. from my apartment to work. So a lot of times, I would just walk to work. And then if I worked later, he would come by and pick me up. So, like, the waitresses all knew him and stuff. Um, and I didn't really pay any attention to him. So he would come sit down at the bar, and he would have a drink. And a lot of times, he would make a bet with the guy sitting next to him. He would point to me and he'd be like, hey, you see that waitress? I bet I can get her to kiss me or give me her phone number or whatever else by the time, by closing time. And like nine times out of 10, the bet would be taken. And so, and we knew it, I knew it. And so we, uh, we maybe hustled a little bit. I mean, we never got it rich was, off of it. It was but all in good fun. We never got rich off of it, but I'm pretty sure that some money did exchange hands. No, there was never any money exchanged hands. But bets always were made. There, there were always bets made. It was always just in good fun. So, so we did that. Yeah. Uh, and let's see. I worked in retail for a little while, which actually was my favorite job. I, as much as I would love to say the company that I worked for, because it was a great company to work for, because of some of the things that happened in our building, I would really rather not say the company. Suffice to say that it was a women's clothing company. And I, it was probably my favorite job ever because most of the women that came in, like we, we would get women that were, um, they were going on vacation or whatever. And so they wanted to Were get, they snooty? Most of the time, no. Most of the time, they were actually really nice. We would get women that were getting ready to go on vacation, and so they wanted to go shopping, and they would let you shop with them and, like, help them pick out clothes. So it was kind of like shopping with other people's money. Um, but there was – or my other favorite one was women would come in, and they'd lost a bunch of weight, and so they needed a whole new wardrobe. And that was always fun to, like, help them pick out stuff that they would never have worn when they were heavier because it was printed and big girls aren't supposed to wear prints or whatever – that was always really fun, but there was, and this memory stands out of my mind, and I will, I always kind of go out of my way to tip big because I was a waitress, and I go out of my way to be kind to retail workers because of this story. Um, it was... Oh, I know the one you're going to tell. Yeah. It was Christmas time. So, 
Okay. Oh. What? Not Back- Christmas. It was Black Friday. Was it Black Friday? Yeah. No, it was not Black Friday because she was my... Okay, but we'll back up. So Black Friday, you always hear horror stories about Black Friday. I worked two Black Fridays when I was with this company, and the first one was Midnight to Two, and I loved it. It was really fun. Steve got to actually help out as, like, a runner. So, like, when women were oh, done... Oh, that in the was chain, fun. I, I loved it. The, it was a really festive atmosphere and stuff. But his job, um, like, he got paid to go. We were allowed to bring in our spouses or our kids or whatever, and they would work and they would get paid. And so he basically just had to get the clothes from the fitting room, put them on hangers, and put them back where they belonged. Like, it wasn't a hard job. No, it wasn't hard. It was just, it was it was a lot of work. Um, but I actually really liked it. And then the there next was no year. Br- I don't remember getting in no. that shift. I don't remember getting one break. No, you didn't. No. And neither did we. Um, but, but you love Black Friday. I did. I liked that Black Friday because the, it was, it was midnight when we opened and it was really festive and everybody was really excited for the Black Friday sales. But the next year I worked like 1 PM to 5 PM or something on Black Friday. And that was not fun because by then, like all the good stuff had been picked over and people were getting tired and cranky. But the, the story that I was going to tell it was the last, my last shift before Christmas. Oh. And she was my last customer of the last shift before Christmas. Now, mind you, at this point, I had my master's of education, um, which, that, and that's another story. I worked um, in high school. We'll get back to that. But um, I had my master's of education, had gotten laid off from my teaching position, and was working as an assistant manager, actually, um, at this clothing company. And Let's be clear. You weren't laid off because something bad you did. You got laid no, off because... No, I laid off because they couldn't pass a budget. They couldn't pass a budget. Okay. And I and, like, 80 other teachers got laid off across the district. But, um, well, okay, so we'll back up. Let's just do this sequentially. So after, so after I, I graduated... I got a job um, teaching theater at a local high school, and I it was just not a job for me. Like, in retrospect, I can say that I, that was probably, of the jobs that I've had, that was probably my least favorite. Well, you were hired to be an English teacher. Well, I was hired to work for the English department, uh-huh. but... I went to school. I, at one time, I had entertained thoughts of becoming a theatrical makeup artist, and so I went to school, high, college for theater for three years and then decided to switch my major to education. Which Let's give a plug for our local university. Wright State University has one of the top theater programs in the country. Tom Hanks is one of our patrons. Like He donated a bunch of money to our film program. Yeah. They're okay. really good. Um, but anyway, so... Go Raiders. Right. Um, so, ha, see what I did there, right? Anyway, um, so I, I was a shoo-in for the drama teacher position, and I, I actually did, it was hard work, but I actually did like a lot of my students, um, and I did like putting on productions with my students. I didn't always get along with all of the other faculty, and I didn't like some of the, what I thought were silly rules um, enforced by the union that were just to, I don't know, they just made life difficult, I think. Oh, you couldn't copy. Yeah, like if you had, if you had a copy job, 
and it was more than 250 pages, you had to send it to the print shop. And if the union, anybody in the union found out that you were making more than 200 copies on the school copier, you could get in big trouble. Little things like that that were just, really? I have more important stuff to do than this. But um, one of my favorite stories from the time, and this is how, like, this is kind of when, I don't remember if it was my first or second year. I only taught there for two years. Um, and then got out of high school teaching and went to early education, which is where I belong. But one of my students in my drama one class thought that she was tough and big and bad. And this was kind I mean, it wasn't an urban district by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a kind of a, it was a rougher around the edges district. And so, um, there was a pair of boots that I had really liked. They were nine West boots. They were about knee high and they had a low heel, which is something that you don't find a lot. And I'm almost six feet tall. So I don't like wearing heels. Steve surprised me with these boots and I wore them to school one day and they were expensive. They were $200 pair of boots. Okay. Plug for the husband. I knew what size boot you wore. Yeah. True. Okay. Go ahead. Um, so they were $200 and I was like, I'm not spending that much on a pair of boots. That's ridiculous. So he surprised me with them. And I wore them to school, and this mouthy girl goes, I, she was making fun of them. She's like, I would like your cowboy boots, but it was in a, that kind of tone, like a really derogatory, like mocking tone. And I think you will be the first one to tell people that I have a bit of a sharp tongue and a quick wit. No. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes my mouth works faster than my brain. And No. So... <laughs> A lot of times I say things that I probably shouldn't. No. <laughs> like, so when she said that and she was mocking these boots that I really liked and were really comfortable and really, really special because he surprised me with them, she said, I really like your cowboy boots. And I, knowing that she was not a good student, said, well, why don't you stay in school and maybe one day you can afford a pair of $200 boots. And the entire class went, oh, and she got really mad. And I probably couldn't get away with saying something like that now. Um, but I, and I just kept right on going. Like, I didn't stop teaching or whatever. But it, that was kind of a, a sign to me that, like, mm, I can't, this is not for me. Yeah. So actually getting laid off was a blessing. And that story actually contrasts with the story, the Christmas story. So there I was. It was my last shift. Right before Christmas, my last customer of my last shift. So the way it worked is we rang them out and then we turned our turned around and wrapped their stuff in tissue paper. Excuse me, tissue paper and put it in a bag. So I did that. I turned around and I quietly commented, like I didn't say it to the lady. I didn't, I had my back turned to her at the time. I commented to my friend who was working with me, man, my feet are really killing me. I'm so glad that my shift is over about that loud. Like it was not loud. It was kind of under my breath. I turned around and I handed the lady her bag with a smile. I was being super pleasant. It had been a good holiday season. The lady looked me dead in the eye and said, that's why I got an education. So I don't have to work in retail and walked off. And I knowing you, <laughs> it probably took everything in your body not to, not to react. Yeah. I was so shocked at her rudeness that she she was like the one person that I can ever think of in my life that I was I had no words. <laughs> like I was shocked into silence at the rudeness of this woman. Well, I've never shocked you into silence. I know, you, I know. You always come right back at me. I know. I didn't know. And I think it just happened so fast that I didn't even have time to retaliate. I probably would have. 
But the woman behind her was embarrassed for her. And she stepped up and she goes, oh, honey, I, I don't even know that woman, but I am so sorry for what she just said to you. And I was able to just shrug it off and say, you know what? It doesn't even matter. She doesn't know that I have a master's degree in education, so it's fine. And the lady was very kind, and she was like, well, good for you. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and a good holiday season. And all was, it, was, it was fine, but, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen you at a oh, loss for words. At that time, I was like, excuse me? That yeah, job I, also... I don't even like to argue with Kim because <laughs> her brain thinks five times, fa- ten <laughs> times faster than mine, ton- mine does, and her tongue is probably a hundred times faster, so... <laughs> arguing with Kim, I, I don't do it. You don't win. You won't win. I took debate in school, too. Like, that's part, part of it comes from. I will win, but it'll be a subtle win later when you're not expecting it. That's not a win, then. <laughs> yeah, it is to no, me. Well, you, whatever. Whatever oh, makes you happy. Oh, okay, it, that made me happy. So, But that same job, like, there was one weekend that I well, luckily was off because I was the assistant manager then, too, and some lady brought back a whole bunch of clothes that were infested with bed bugs. And that same weekend, somebody pooped in our fitting room and used, like, just pooped on the floor of the fitting room and used one of our shirts to wipe themselves with. And luckily, I wasn't there that weekend because we had to clean it. Well, we, I, I didn't. The manager on duty was the one that had to clean it up. And she's like, I just kept telling myself that it was a kid, but it was not a kid-sized poop. She's like, it was an adult. I just had to keep telling myself that it was a kid that didn't know any better. Oh, well, okay. So, the my... The first place I was stationed after schools was in Germany, and we had an inspection, and the soldiers all opened up the ranks and walked down the first aisle. And we came back around behind a soldier in the back aisle, and his bottom was wet. And oh, I said, you know, story. Private so and so, why why is your why is your butt wet? He said, I'm I'm bleeding from my rectum, sir. I was like, Ugh. Private. Why are you bleeding from your rectum? He said, well, sir, we said, we've been out in the field for, for two weeks. He goes, and I don't like to poop out in the field. So I didn't poop until we got home last night. So the you sergeant, didn't poop for two weeks? For two weeks. He called the sergeant, and uh, they, uh, they took him over to the clinic. I don't know, maybe gave him stool softener or what. Ooh. So speaking of blood... I'm going to use a name. I'm going to use names for this story because it's our granddaughters and I don't think anybody would care. Um, so we, um, was it last Christmas? No, I think the Christmas before last. Maybe it was, no, it had to be last Christmas. Okay, so last Christmas we had, um, my stepdaughter Sarah was working for, for me and her daughter Nora was coming too. Now Sarah is married to a man who is um, from Mexico And so we always try to incorporate um, different traditions around the holidays and stuff. Like we celebrate Hanukkah and all this other stuff. In Mexico, they have a tradition, I think it's called La Posada, where they take the baby Jesus and they go through the town, like it's a big parade, and then they put baby Jesus in the fancy manger. Well, we did that, and Nora got to carry the baby Jesus out to the playground, and I let them keep the little toy baby Jesus outside. And it was just like a baby doll from their stuffed animal box. Well, at one point, Eve and Avery, our little twin granddaughters, who are a little little dark (laughs) with their humor (laughs) already, um, she carried baby Jesus up to the very top of the playground, and she, like, threw him off of the playground. 
And Nora, who's good and sweet, said, oh, no, baby Jesus. And I said, Nora, it's okay. Baby Jesus is fine. And he goes, no, he's not. He's all bloody. And Nora was just really concerned about baby Jesus. And I had to explain the difference between Christmas and Easter. <laughs> so, yeah, they... they they have given us some entertainment. Oh but my that, goodness! That could be a whole that could be a whole other show, right oh, there. Oh, the grand the twins alone could be a show. I remember one time in Germany, we were evaluating a company, and they were coming over for an exercise we used to call Reforge or Return of Forces to Germany. And I was given a location to wait to meet these people, so I could follow them along and just be their evaluator and help guide them through Germany and what we had whatever they needed to do. And um, set up at this road intersection on top of this hill for three, four days. It rained. It rained. We, at that time, we had, well, we had our MREs, meals ready to eat. The Jeep was leaking, obviously, because these things were old, probably from World War II or Korea or someplace like that. And we chewed up all the gum, stuck it in all the holes oh, to try to keep this thing yeah, and they finally, we, we finally gave up on them and uh, drove down off the mountain and was able to connect up, and we were able to locate them. Their ship, bringing their equipment, didn't make it over in time. So oh, we, no. we eventually linked up with them. We sat up there for three days Ugh. with just trying to keep dry and warm because it was kind of cold. But then, um, oh, gosh. Oh, I have some stories about holes, too. Like, if you want to talk about holes and kids. So at one of the days, this, the, I have two stories about accident, well, injuries, and both of them happened at the daycare that I worked in previous to the Nook. Um, it was a pretty affluent uh, franchise daycare, and I, I really enjoyed it too, and I probably still would be there if it wasn't for the Nook. But um, there was one little boy who had just started with us, and I was in the twos class. He just started, like he'd been there a week. And he already had an injury to his forehead that had mostly healed that he got at home. Well, one day we were sitting down to do circle time and we called the little boy over and he ran to the circle time carpet and he tripped on the edge of the carpet and went face first into the bookshelves and blood, like he reopened that, that spot, the, like the cut on his head and blood went everywhere just all over, all over the carpet, all over me, all over my co-teacher, the little boy screaming and crying because he's got blood everywhere and probably hurt. But I'm head wounds bleed a lot. And then at that same place, there was a little boy who was autistic and so didn't necessarily, like, relate to people very well. And there was, um, he was climbing on the top of the cubbies um, like during a really busy transition time. And the director of the center happened to be in there with him at the time. And there were a pair of adult scissors up on top of the cubbies that like none of the kids should have been able to get to, but somehow he managed to climb up there. And he grabbed the adult scissors and they were like open and the director lunged at him and like the scissors went, like the open scissors um, the blades kind of went around the edge of her hand, like between the thumb and forefinger. And that little boy clamped down and you could hear her scream like throughout the center. And she had permanent nerve damage because of it. So it's, childcare it, can be dangerous. It's dangerous. 
I think one of the funniest stories that I think I'll always remember. So the, one of the first units I was in was a bridging company. And once a year, we would go up to a little place called Spire on the Rhine River, and we would do bridging exercises. We'd practice with all the different types of military bridges and put it in. But back in that time, when you were done training for the day, we would all like gather up in the tents because it was not a tactical exercise at that point. It was just training. And we were all sitting in the uh, in the commander's tent, and we were all just sitting there. And there was beer, and we of ra- course we, there was beer. We 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 ran out of beer, and the first sergeant told the supply sergeant, the Rose Barracks, the club, was about a mile down the road. We were in the woods, and he he told the uh, supply sergeant, he goes, "Hey, take this jeep, or take take the 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 commander's jeep, go down there and buy two more cases of beer." And he gave him like twenty bucks or something like that. So sergeant goes down there, he buys the beer, but on the way out, he ran over a sign, and the MPs caught him. Oh, no. Yeah. And so they escorted him back. They brought him back to uh, to our tent, and the first sergeant walked out there. The MP said, is, is this your sergeant? And the first sergeant went off on him. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You went and took the commander's Jeep to go down oh. and get beer. Oh, no. <laughs> and you did this, and the sergeant just hanging Yes, first sergeant. Yes, yes, I did. And the MPs, I guess, well, the sergeant, the first sergeant goes, "Hey, you leave him to me. I will make sure that this guy gets what he deserves." Uh-huh. And the MPs are like, "Yes, first sergeant." And you know, they slunk off like, "Man, this guy's in a lot of trouble." As soon as they drove out, first sergeant looks at him. He goes, "Did you get the beer?" <laughs> and he goes, yeah, and all the excitement, they forgot to get it. So he's he had two cases of beer in the nice. back of the in the back of the jeep. Yeah, nice. That was just one of those stories that I'll, I always remember about. The army in Germany back back in the day. Apparently, I, so even just yesterday, so we've been doing Shark Week here at the Nook, and so um, my assistant, Savannah, my school-age teacher, um, sent me a video for shark shooters, like they're jello shots with sharks in them, and she was like, hey, we should make these for the kids, minus the, minus the rum, and so I I did for their snack and it was just blue jello with like gummy sharks in them. And we made theirs with water, but I made, I had extra boxes of jello. So I made some with rum for the parents. And apparently I, I made them like way bigger than I should have because I used a whole cup of rum. And, uh, so apparently the parents were, well, I don't, I don't think they're getting any, like there wasn't that much, they weren't getting oh, inebriated or anything, but, in there. but they were all laughing about how big my my jello shots were. So back in the day in Germany, before the euro, we had marks, and the mark rate one time hit, I think like three mark fifty four to the dollar, which was really high. It hadn't been that high in a long time. And one of the soldiers was walking down the hallway with his calculator. Now in in Stuttgart, there was a place called the House of Three, and we'll just say it, it was a house of ill repute. But it was well known to many of the soldiers in Germany. And this uh, this soldier was walking down the hallway with his calculator because the mark rate hit three mark fifty four to the dollar. And he looked up at me. He goes, "Hey, sir." He goes, "Guess what? I can get a date tonight in Stuttgart for eleven dollars and twenty nine cents." Wow! And that made his that, that made that made his day. I bet it did. Yeah. I don't have any yeah. good stories like that. Yeah. Oh, the other one, one time from. Uh, I was stationed at Fort Riley, and I'll 
all I remember about Fort Riley was you were in one exercise, planning another one, and long-range planning for the next exercise. It, it was just nonstop from the time. I was there for four and a half years, and it was nonstop from the time we got there. Good times, but just very, very busy and a lot of things going on all the time at Fort Riley. And I've got so many stories. We, we'll have to do another hour to, to just to cover the Fort Riley stories. But um, one of the things I remember, we were flying out to uh, the National Training Center, and they put us on a, um, a C-130 aircraft. So if you don't know what that is, it's a propeller-driven aircraft. And we flew from Fort Riley out to uh, Fort Irwin, and some people were going to jump into Fort Irwin, one of the landing zones out there. But the wind was really high. But for about two hours, the airplane dropped down really low, and we did nap of the earth, and it was just the airplane was going this way and that way. It was bumpy. It was up and down. Now, this whole airplane was packed with soldiers. And as soon as one guy puked, uh, it started It started the chain reaction. I looked so over. Gross. The colonel was sitting over across from me. He lit up his cigar, and he knew. And so <laughs> <laughs> that, that kept the smell out of his face. But there was a brand-new soldier sitting next to me. And what did they give us for lunch? They gave us sack lunches with bologna sandwiches and hard-boiled eggs. Uh. <laughs> so there was this guy sitting next to me. He goes, I'm about to puke. And he goes, I don't have anything to puke in. I said, just puke in your bag. And he threw up so hard, it shot through that bag. <laughs> All so. over his boots. Well, wait a minute. Uh. And then we landed on Bicycle Lake, which doesn't mean anything to anybody unless you're a soldier and you've trained out at Fort Irwin, California before, which I was stationed there for two years and another great job with the Army. But that air, it's a dry lake bed, and when that airplane landed on that dry lake bed, they dropped the back ramp, and the dust just built oh. <laughs> up through the aircraft. This is like the worst flight ever. Uh, it was probably like 110 degrees. Uh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a rough flight. Yeah. I also, I don't do puke. Like a lot of people can't handle blood or or urine or or poop. I can't do puke. I'm not good with it. Um, but a handy thing that I've learned is that if you hum, it suppresses your gag reflex. So if you're one of those people that can't do whatever, then hum and it'll help you. I can't believe we've been talking for over 55 minutes. Yeah. And we still have a lot of stories to tell. Yeah, maybe. Do you think we need to do uh, episode two on this one? I don't know. I was thinking maybe we could share our stories on Facebook this week. Yeah, we can do that. I'm so, pretty busy with, with work this week. That'll be hard for me. But hey, let me get let me get one more in. All right, one more okay, story. Now this, these, not war stories, but from, from Desert Storm, we, we found a puppy. And our, our squadron maintenance officer kept his puppy with him, and the dog liked um, MREs. He liked spaghetti, and that's all this dog ate. And Mark tried to bring him home, but he couldn't. But Mark was a big, big man, uh, Greco-Roman wrestler, Olympian. Is this the Mark that I know? No, okay. no, different, different Mark. And uh, he was the maintenance officer. And there was a vehicle was down, and we needed to get the vehicle up. And he was using my radio to talk back to the Squadron XO. And they were sitting there arguing. I'm just sitting there minding my own business. And finally, Mark got really mad. And he took his fist and slammed it down on the hood of my Humvee. Now, it probably just cracked the paint, but it cracked it. 
And Whoa. The, and the XO is on the radio. And he Mark walked off. And I, so I had the radio. And uh, the XO says, you tell him, I'm coming over there. I'm coming over there right now. I said, sir, I said, he, uh, he just cracked the hood of my Humvee with his fist. You tell him. He did what? <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be over in the morning. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> All right. Yeah. That's all we have time for today. Yeah. We have so I, many more stories. We I may know. have to revisit the job uh, another another time. Another time we'll tell some more job stories. Um by then I might have some more kid stories and I'm sure you'll have some more army stories. Oh, I've got a lot of army stories to go through yet. So we might I might be able to um like transcribe some of them for you guys on our Facebook page. Um just you can find us on Facebook, you can find us on Instagram, um an hour of your life. You can find us on our website on Podbean, which is anhourofyourlife.podbean.com. If you want to share some stories with us, um, I'll put those up on the Facebook page as well. Just email us at alosthour at gmail.com. Um, so that's all we got time for today. All right. Well, this from the beautiful studios in Beaver Creek, Ohio. Have a good week. We'll Thanks. see you next week. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us.